Hi, friends. Welcome back to the Modern Medusa podcast. This is your host, Dominique DeFalco of DeFalco Reptiles. And eventually I am going to get um, some sort of, you know, actual intro down because right now I just start talking. So hi, um, I'm very excited for this week's guest, like I say every week, because I'm always very excited. We're going to be talking about her experience with some larger constrictors, her liasis pythons that she's getting into, which is very exciting. And then just general experience of uh, dating someone else in the hobby, because I think that's really cool. So um, I want to give a huge thank you to everyone for being so supportive and helping out, you know, getting the word out there about our podcast. This is our 10th episode, which is incredible. And as always, a huge thank you to Joe with Port City Pet for supporting us and hosting us on his platform. So tonight, I would like to introduce you to Kendra Westy of Puget Sound Pythons. Hey, how's it going? It's going well. How are you? I'm good. (laughs) I love that awkward like lie we do at the beginning, pretending we haven't been talking for 20 minutes. Um, (laughs) to make it sound more natural for the audience but you just pretend you're here with us so Kendra super excited thank you so much for joining me this evening because it's a a Friday evening right now and there's much better things you could be doing but this is a pretty good thing can you give us a little intro about who you are and what you keep um yeah do you have uh 20 minutes to talk about all the different species I keep or uh yeah absolutely we'll just put a google doc out there you can just update it as things come in go out you know whatever the hell perfect perfect (laughs) um so yeah um I am Kendra I am one of two people part of Puget Sound Pythons um I was the creator of Puget Sound Pythons um and we work with multiple different species Mm -hmm. um anything from your standard ball python to uh things that are, I would say, more rare, like uh, Duns, Pythons, Liasis, Duni, um, to uh, we recently had some green anacondas. We keep and breed Demerals boas. I mean, there's there's a list. I have a whole list. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been, I don't know, I want to say almost a decade now I've been doing this, probably longer just because I've been keeping like reptiles, but not like in the hobby sense, I guess, or mm-hmm. the standard hobby sense. Most people have done that. So yeah, I don't so really what, include those. <laughs> well, well, let's include them. So tell me a little bit about like, was it when you're growing up that you were getting lizards or ball pythons or whatever? Um, so, uh, I grew up and I'm still in the Pacific Northwest. Um, so mm-hmm. Washington, the most beautiful place in the world. Like I have to move back. I swear to God, oh I'm going to show up on your doorstep one day, just so you know, uh, do it. I'm totally okay with Great. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there's not like, because of the climate here, obviously, like I tell people it rains here, like every day, so no one moves here. Cause it's, it is beautiful. It actually mm-hmm. doesn't, but, uh, our, our temperatures are not, I would say adequate for <laughs> a lot of reptiles species Mm -hmm. um and so we have you know our standard like garter snakes and salamanders and like pacific tree frogs and things like that um and so growing up like those were the things that I was like catching as well as like bugs and all sorts of other I guess quote-unquote vermin um (laughs) (laughs) um thankfully though um I had a super duper duper supportive dad like I cannot like give that man enough compliments for being such a great dad Mm -hmm. um because, you know, like, uh, as a little girl, like, growing up in Sucre West, like, you know, I mean, growing up in, in the, what, the mid to early 90s, like, every, I mean, there's still a societal stereotype of girls need to be girls and girls need to do girl things. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, when I would come home with a, with a pet snake, it wasn't like, oh, gross, get that out of my house. My <laughs> oh, okay. So that's happening. Uh, 
I think that's how a lot of non-animal parents react for the first time. They're like, great. She picked it up. Cool. Um, let's see where that goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, I guess like, I guess growing up in kind of an era where like, you know, computers weren't really a big thing quite yet, or at least not in my household and gaming consoles. I was never really into like games except for like maybe a game boy when, you know, like played Pokemon. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Tamagotchi. That was my thing. Oh, yeah. See, I always let them die. So, uh, oh, always... you must be a great keeper. You... <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. <laughs> I blame Pokemon for like this whole like collection. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. <laughs> Gotta In catch the need, them all. Yeah, the need to like evolve them and get more. <laughs> yeah, right. That's that's the true reasoning behind our addiction. Um, <laughs> yeah. Blame Pokemon. This for is real. the Modern Medusa podcast. We're currently fighting big Pokemon. Uh, <laughs> Um, but yeah, so like, I, I didn't like, I I guess I didn't have a lot of like, I guess the things that kids have as far as, um, stimulus, um, or stimuli. So like we would watch TV, but like, it was literally always on animal planet. Like that was Mm -hmm. like my Mm go-to. And then I didn't play a lot of like games. I was always outdoors, like playing sports or just playing with neighborhood kids. And so like that, I think definitely kind of helped me focus on like, I guess, keeping animals and and thinking that was like a pathway I never thought growing up though that that would be like a thing Mm -hmm. you know like keeping pets is like one thing but then like having keep going from keeping pets to like a hobby or industry was like a completely separate thing Mm -hmm. and so when that evolved that's when it really like everything started to take off a bit yeah so what was your first like true pet reptile um I would have to say um Elvestina was an American toad that (laughs) I found when I was visiting my mom in Wichita, Kansas. Okay. I found this baby toad and we decided that we were going to keep it. I know Mm -hmm. not the greatest thing in the world. I, we all did it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, my mom, you know, we got it a tank. We got, you know, like we had a local pet store that provided us crickets, you know, this Mm -hmm. is like before like calcium dusting and all that, but, um, you know, we got it like a little setup. We made it like kind of, I guess, somewhat bioactive in some aspects, like not true bioactive. We like literally took dirt out of the yard and planted Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) naturalistic you know (laughs) yeah yeah naturalistic we'll go with that Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. so that I guess was kind of like my first pet granted it was only for like a three-month period because then I had to fly back to Washington but that happened when I was like oh I don't know I think it was like seven or eight when we did that and then I didn't get actually my first like permanent in the sense that like I kept it was uh corn snakes I got like every I think everybody has the story where you go into a store and they keep multiple little animals in one like little terrarium and they're like mm-hmm. yeah you know buy two they're great companion animals whatever yeah they're best <laughs> friends they love each yeah. other they're they're bonded yeah right and so okay. they'll sell you two for one kind of deal right and so I got two corn snakes and I don't honestly I think they were like first okatees or something I I don't know mm-hmm. I thought they were pretty and they were tiny and cute. And I was like that. I want a snake and I want two of them, dad. And so (laughs) we got two little corn snakes and that was probably my very first time like keeping snakes, I guess, or any reptile in the sense of like a permanent solution. 
Mm -hmm. versus like my mom having it for a summer and then letting it go. But yeah, so that was probably the first thing. And then it kind of evolved, obviously. And I mean, this is the general consensus. Like you go from snakes to geckos or geckos to snakes, whatever way you go. Mm -hmm. I went from corn snakes to leopard geckos. And then, so I kept those on and off for a few years. And then I discovered YouTube and like the world's dangerous. It truly is. And like Mm -hmm. the wonderful world of the internet and um, Ralph Davis and Garrick DeMeyer and mm-hmm. their YouTube channels. <laughs> then I was like, wow, ball pythons are kind of cool. And then I ended up getting my first ball python from Garrick DeMeyer way back in 2008. Okay. Mm-hmm. Pastel mail, it was like a hundred dollars at the time or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my dad was like, you're spending how much money? Like, do you know how much <laughs> you have to do to get this? <laughs> that is so funny. So I have been kind of like banking some episodes so that I can release them over some time. And I had a conversation last night where a girl was like, yeah, I spent $300 on my first ball Python. And I was like, I can't believe I spent that much money. And it's like, oh, I wish my animals still cost a hundred dollars or $300. <laughs> right (laughs) yeah yeah so (laughs) for sure especially as as things evolve like you get Mm -hmm. that like you know you're like wow this is awesome and then you're like okay but this thing's even more awesome Mm -hmm. but that price tag is a little out of my reach and so um you know growing up my dad like kind of instilled in me like hard work gets you rewards right and so Mm -hmm. I think that I think for like a month we had like four cords of wood dropped off at the house and I split and stacked every single one of the cords for that ball python. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So how I old were you at that point? Uh, I was severely underpaid and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I don't even know. Like I was in my teens. It was before, it was like mid high school maybe. Okay. Um, yeah. Around that time. So. Mm-hmm. So at this time you had, did you still have your other corn snakes and your geckos? Yes. Yeah. What was, um, what was that kind of like as being like a high school girl with, with all these reptiles? Is that something that you, people like liked or thought was cool or. Um, I was incredibly secretive about it, to be honest okay. with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not really tell people about it because like, I already had the stigma of being the weird girl because I grew up playing ice hockey. Mm-hmm. And so like being already kind of like, I don't want to say an outcast, but kind of like just I don't know, just different. Right. Like I did, I wasn't the girl who played soccer or played volleyball or basketball or whatever. I was like, Oh, right. that's the girl who plays ass hockey. She'll kick your ass. And so <laughs> I was like, okay, well let's not take it a step further and be like, yo, I got snakes, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not trying to be a true social outcast, but <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting. Cause I, I, I don't know. I feel like as I was getting into the hobby and like, you just didn't really want to tell anyone at the beginning. Cause it's kind of like, shoot, they're going to think it's really weird. And you have to, um, almost rationalize it to other people. And that's exhausting. It really is. No, I totally get that. And so like, I would never do like sleepovers or anything in my house because I had them in my room and I was like, yeah, my dad said no. So like, (laughs) (laughs) so that was blame it on the dad. Yeah. Yeah. He was cool with it. He's like, yeah, I don't want fucking kids over here. Like, I don't want a bunch of like teenage girls running around the house. So yeah, yeah. Go, 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 go there. He finally gets a day off. He's like, yeah, leave. Yeah. 
<laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you're in high school. You want this ball python. Where did it kind of go from there? Um, so not very far. Um, so I stuck to like local, like that's when I, I was kind of like, I think I discovered Craigslist and like everything, like people getting rid of pets. And like, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be, I'm going to do this, you know, and I'm going to get some of the things that I want locally before I try to do like go beyond or get from like a big breeder. Cause at that time mm-hmm. I was only thinking like Ralph Davis, Garrick Meyer, uh, you know, the BHB, things like that. So I was like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm, I'm good. Like their prices are a little too much for me. I don't mm-hmm. like have like a legitimate job at this point. Cause I was just, you know, doing like under the table work for, for like neighbors and, and, and everybody like that and family. And so I was like, I need to save my money for the things that I actually want to do. Like, you know, like social things, you know, go out mm-hmm. and be a teenager um and so I would get things like people would would find things like neighbors they'd be like hey like my a friend of a friend of a friend has this ball python do you want it I'd be like ah, I guess so and so I'll take that one too yeah <laughs> and well. so yeah and so it wasn't like I didn't really I guess really have a plan until later I'd say like junior or senior year and I was like okay, I think I've done a lot of research at this point. Like it had been a few years and I was like, okay, I think I'm ready to like do this, like do the breeding thing. I think I can do it. Mm -hmm. And that's when I like kind of made the decision to be like, okay, like plan projects for Mm -hmm. for ball python breeding because that was going to be my my niche. At this point, I'd already bred corn snakes um, a couple of times. And so like I built my own incubator um, out of a... (laughs) out of a small wine cooler you know my dad he's he was an electrical uh, engineer so he helped me like rewire stuff and all this mm-hmm. and that yeah and so the that's 15 where- year old girl is like hey I need a wine cooler for snake eggs definitely not for alcohol dad I promise no <laughs> yeah. really really for snake eggs yeah yeah <laughs> and so um yeah we, we you know we wired the whole thing I wired a, uh, one of those Renko thermostats together and and everything and that was like just kind of fun to do and so I was like wow this is this seems easy. Like mm-hmm. corn snakes are easy to breed, like to mm-hmm. me at least. Um, and so like, I was like, I can do this. I can do this ball python thing. Right. And so that's when I started to develop like my project plans. And at that time, I think I wasn't, I wasn't very ambitious. I was like, I have a pastel male. I'm going to get a Mojave female and then I'm going to make past hobbies. And that's, I'm cool with that. Like that wasn't yeah. <laughs> like, I was what people always want. Yeah. (laughs) And so like, I'm like, this is cool. This is what I want to do. And then, um, then life hit and I was like, oh shit, I need to go to college. And so like that kind of, that kind of stopped that process a little bit Mm -hmm. um, initially because I ended up, so I moved uh, to Buffalo, New York out there on the East coast and, uh, went to school there, played ice hockey for the school. And, you know, that was my main focus, you know, my, and did my- you bring your animals at that point? No. So this is why I have such a great dad. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. You left all of them. I left them. Wow. And at this time I was also breeding rats in his garage. <laughs> <laughs> we had built the rat rack. We had, we were breeding rats and, my dad was like, okay, so what's your plan here? And I was like, so 
do you mind <laughs> taking, like a little favor just 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 little just a little for your favor um like you love me right <laughs> yeah yeah right and so I ended up being able to keep all my animals there and then you know he was breeding and then um when when breeding the rodents and everything breeding the food for them and everything mm-hmm. and um I come home on the breaks and like you know, do all the work I needed to. Then I go back and it was a, it was a back and forth thing for, you know, four years. And during that time, I had also collected quite a few animals in Buffalo. Um, (laughs) so my collection almost doubled. And then, um, I got into different things when I was out there and, um, then I eventually moved back and then it kind of exploded from there. (laughs) Yeah. So before we get into the explosion, I have a couple questions. So your dad sounds great. Like you said, Mm -hmm. was he an animal person? I wouldn't say that he wasn't, mm-hmm. he was, he was just a very responsible animal keeper. Mm-hmm. Um, so like as a kid, I've always, you know, like, I think every kid is want like a pony or like puppies, like mm-hmm. want more dogs. Like I was like, yeah, I want of course, 40 dogs and a bunch of cats and like, you know, like just, you know, what yeah, live in the dream. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was like, this is, I, this is cool. And my dad was like, no, 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 listen here. <laughs> we can have two dogs and that's it. And then you can keep your snakes because they literally don't do anything. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, you, and so he was really responsible in that sense, I guess. Um, But, you know, he didn't like dislike them. He found them like really interesting. He was just, wasn't like going to go open their cage every day to look at them like me, you know? (laughs) Right. Right. And so when you were gone, so like at this stage, what was your keeping like? Were you a rack keeper? Were you still using mostly terrariums or like tanks like people used? I think I evolved to, t- to, um, rack and tub systems fairly mm-hmm. early. Yeah. Um, I was, cause that's, it's interesting your story, especially watching those bigger breeders and like being familiar with them. Mm-hmm. I wasn't introduced to the rack system until like later into keeping. And so yeah. it seems like that was kind of a, a quick thing for you to, to be exposed to. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I mean, everyone starts out with terrariums, right? The the 10 gallon to the 20 to the 40 to the, you know, whatever. And so like, I just was running out of room. You know, I had a small bedroom and I was like, okay, I have a 40 gallon for my corn snakes and I have a 20 gallon long for my leopard gecko. And then I have this ball python and a 20 gallon. And I was like, this Where is too I much put space. Anything else. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so that's, you know, that's where Craigslist came in handy. I found my first like little shitty melamine rack and I was like cool like little sterilite 28 quart tubs and I was mm-hmm. like and that's okay. 8,000 pounds yeah oh yeah it was <laughs> it was the worst trying to get mm-hmm. in through carpet oh my god oh like, yeah no <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I literally had to borrow like the neighborhoods uh the neighbor kid next door he had a couple skateboards and I was like oh <laughs> Devin can I borrow those to wheel this through my house? And he's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so we got, yeah, it was, it was a fairly quick transition. Cause I was just like, I'm tired of tanks. Like this sucks. And then learning, learning about everything, like the tub systems at that time, you know, like rack systems were like the new thing, mm-hmm. you know, all these big breeders kept everything in rack systems. Everything was kosher, you know, there didn't seem like there was a lot of downside, um, mm-hmm. especially as the keeper, mm-hmm. uh, 
there wasn't a lot of thought process I think on the animals well-being at that time but like at the at that time it was just like this is easy for the keeper this is easy to clean I have you know 10 trillion animals and I need to be able to quickly run through them and clean them and the deli cups and and everything. Were you doing the same thing out in Buffalo as well were you like building a collection the same way like kind of Craigslist or someone had an animal they didn't want anymore? Um, no. So when I got out to Buffalo, I was, I was a lot smarter about it because I had had quite a few issues with like, you know, the typical Craigslist thing and the rescue mm-hmm. issue. You know, like I, I'm sure everyone has had that, right? You get an animal that it's, and it's not what they said it was, or that you get an animal and it's, it's sick as hell and, and is like on death's door. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I went to Buffalo, that's when I really like um, I was a part of like the Facebook reptile community here, but I wasn't involved in it as much as I was when I went to Buffalo. I was always like, kind of like, I don't want to say the creep in the background, but I was just like learning from people versus yeah. like interacting. You were lurking. <laughs> yeah, lurking. Yeah. Um, so when I got to Buffalo, like that's when I kind of developed more like better relationships with people and especially like in the reptile community, you know, vendors, breeders and everything. And so I, I made the decision um, to like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to, I'm going to do this right. And so I'm going to mm-hmm. learn from people. And so, you know, I talked to, to breeders in the area and, um, I, I just, I wanted to be more educated on it because there wasn't a lot of info out there at that time. And so I wanted to do things right. And I, mm-hmm. and I didn't want to just kind of rush into it. And so at the same time, like I also had limited funds being a college student, mm-hmm. yep. um, being a full-time athlete at the school, like every weekend, I was, I was literally out of state. So we were, you know, at games or at tournaments or whatever. And so it was, it was a situation of like, okay, can I keep this animal alive while I'm out of state over a weekend when temps could drop down to negative 10 and I could come back to a house where there's eight feet of snow and I can't physically get into my house. Man, I was looking at a grad school in Rochester and now I'm like, Mm, maybe not for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That lake is that lake effect snow. Damn. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Thank you for yeah. you know saving me some money there, Kendra. Appreciate yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, no worries. <laughs> so that was like, I think that was the biggest like kind of thought for me was like, hey, I'm in a state that one, I'm not like familiar with. The the winters here are awful. Like mm-hmm. there are some people who like snow and then they're like Buffalonians who are like, yeah. yeah, it's snowing. So what? I'm like, yeah. it's 10 feet. Like, what do you mean? What? <laughs> Snow, this is a blizzard. Yeah. I did get my, my, uh, my East coast dose of that when we, I think in, I think it, what, what did they call it? Snowvember, Snowvember of 2015 or 16 or something like that. Maybe it was 14 anyway. And it literally dumped 10 feet of snow in less than 12 hours. That should be illegal. I'm just saying. Oh, like, yeah. Arrest the clouds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was literally awful. Like I had spent the night at a friend's house. So I lived in, I guess, uh, North Buffalo. And then they were in Lancaster, uh, New York. So about 30 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And the lake, like, the lake effect snow is insane. Like it'll literally like skip over cities, dump, mm-hmm. skip over cities, dump. And that's exactly what happened. I was trapped in Lancaster, New York for like a week 
because because we had 10 feet of snow I was in a I was in a house that was in a cul-de-sac and so plows were like no we're doing our chili (sighs) roads only and if you're there you're fucked I literally had to take pictures (laughs) (laughs) it was so bad like I had to take pictures to my professors like hey so I'm trapped Um, literally like (laughs) (laughs) I like I took a picture of the driveway and you couldn't see any cars in the driveway and there were four cars parked in the driveway <laughs> and I was like oh so my gosh yeah I couldn't find my car and so like I had to tell my friends just like hey so I'm gonna miss this exam because I can't leave like it was it was a nightmare like it was mm-hmm. the worst thing ever and so that was I think kind of the biggest like realization for me I was like damn I need to really like think about it, getting first off getting out of this freaking horrible state no yeah. one's <laughs> from new york or and from we just Buffalo. lost all of our new york listeners thank yeah. you kendra <laughs> jeez uh west coast best coast um <laughs> <laughs> i'm in ohio okay but that doesn't yeah that's uh, yeah ohio is its own place um <laughs> yeah do you know anything about it name three I've facts been there. i've been there um why uh well because so my were you uh, stuck I know. Well, I mean, kind of, kind of. Yeah, everyone. It's like I was in Ohio, and I was like, "Was it a layover? Were you? (laughs) Wasn't it? Was it a funeral? That seems to be the reasons people come to Ohio, (laughs) right?" No, uh, my roommate at the time, and the um, one of the captains of the team, uh, was from I think Canton, Ohio. Yes, Canton, um, Ohio. Yeah, and so we road tripped it over over to her parents for a weekend, and that was the worst drive ever. Yeah, it's boring. yeah it's boring the worst drive though ohio to chicago it's literally like Mm -hmm. flat and the i think the best thing is that you know you're getting like closer to chicago when you see windmills and then it's yeah you giggle but you look to your left and right and it's just like windmills as far as you can see and like that's my tinley drive and i'm like i got to the windmills and i'll be like hey siri tell mom i'm at the windmills and they're like and my mom's like great you're making great time because people just know the windmills that's so funny (laughs) i couldn't tell you a mile marker i couldn't tell you a city it's just yeah the windmills Mm -hmm. the windmills okay that makes sense yeah, of course. So you want to get out of New York. So how did that, uh, how'd you get back to, uh, to Washington? Oh, I drove. Oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Cause you had all the animals. Yep. And yeah. so I ended up buying a house out there, like, cause dorming on campus was a fucking nightmare. And like, I was not about to like spend semesters with a bunch of random ass people mm-hmm. who I didn't know who like weren't athletes. And like, I was like, nah, I'm cool. Like I'm just, so, uh, my dad helped me finance for a home. And so I got a, I got a little, little Cape Cod, little, uh, single family home. And so I, I, we did that. And so it was nice. And when I had to leave, I obviously sold the place and then had to drive all that shit back home. I want to say it was a 10 day drive because we stopped uh, my significant other at the time. And I stopped at like various places along Mm -hmm. the way, like, you know, destination points, Yellowstone, I think Blackfoot Hills and things like that. So Mm -hmm. it was like that made it a little better. But like I had to have the animals in the cab with me in little bags. Yeah, yeah. Hoping they don't poop. Oh God, they did. It was, awful. of course. Yeah, yeah. of course. <laughs> right. Thank God I had like a billion extra, like little dollar store pillowcases just in case. Mm-hmm. 
And so that worked out well, but I'm sure that was a hell for them too, because they go from the little baggie and a bigger container to going into the hotel room into smaller little containers with with heat and in a water dish on paper towels. And then in the mm. morning, right, bright and early, we'd go back, stuff them back in a bag and then <laughs> get on our way. Like I had a whole like system for them. Oh, and at this very same time, I had a clutch of eggs. So uh, a female had had a clutch of eggs literally right before, like two days before I had packed up the animals to go. How did you do that? What did you even do? Okay. So <laughs> Where did they, um, well, first of all, did they hatch? Yes. Okay. Hatched. Then now I got to know yeah. how the yeah. fuck did you do that? Yeah. So um, I went to the dollar store and got a little, it was a small clutch. So I had, I had like a couple little small dollar store containers, not like the little six ports, but even smaller than that, filled it with some mm-hmm. vermiculite um, and then had a dollar store, little cooler um, at the bottom of it had uh, some water bottles just to keep with the ambient heats and then had a little heat pad in there mm-hmm. and then had um, my thermostat um, which was, which was a, you know, at the time was our, with a, I think it was a herb one and I had it like glued to the top of the styrofoam. Oh lid. my God. Like it was a whole thing. And I was like, I was sitting in the passenger seat and it just was between my legs the entire time. And I would just always check the thermostat, make sure the eggs weren't, you know, getting too hot or too cold or whatever. Um, especially with the floorboards, floorboards mm-hmm. in those big trucks, they get super hot. Oh, so really? Have, yeah. So you have to be really careful about what you're putting on the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, just it's like basically a shin, thin thin sheet of metal and then the engine compartment so everything was just right. really hot to the touch mm-hmm. so I had to like constantly check that and everything so that was a that was a whole thing I was like are you serious right now like you really had eggs like I was really hoping you would just absorb so that I didn't even have to do with this like <laughs> so what was that was that ball python or corn snake yeah yeah ball pythons yeah oh and at the same time when I was there I forgot to mention I bred I guess kind of unintentionally uh, Tokay geckos. Um, oh, jeez. <laughs> yeah, I, w- I was just like, kind of all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but my main focus was ball pythons. So that was really the only thing I kept besides um, I had a, a, my first carpet python when I, when I moved there too. So, so it, was a, it was a fun, wild ride back from yeah literally back from <laughs> new york to washington state yeah so you get back to washington you're like how did your collection grow from there i don't know it kind of, it's all kind of a blur to be honest um mm-hmm. i wasn't like intentionally buying stuff or or acquiring stuff until i had like a stable job right yeah. and so i i get back and i it's like it took me forever to find like a, a reasonable job when i moved back just mm-hmm. because like the market at the time and everything and being fresh out of college like no one really wants you yeah it's like, really hard yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> you know they're like oh you don't have experience cool so there's the exit um yeah cool <laughs> so that was uh that was a challenge for sure and so mm-hmm. once i was able to get a stable job and everything then that that kind of took I think that really helped the uptick because I've always been kind of trying to focus like making sure that I have everything the animal needs right I'm not I I I try to stress to people especially if I'm selling to anybody like try not to impulse buy I know the temptation Mm -hmm. is there but Mm -hmm. try not to because at the end of the day these are living creatures and they do have needs you know you know you might think of them as just a possession or an object that you can purchase but at the end of the day like if they get sick, do you have a plan? Do you, yep. do you have a local vet that you can contact? Have you talked to them? Do mm-hmm. you know the prices on, you know, just to walk through the door, you know? And so getting a job, I think was like the biggest thing for me is like, okay, 
cool. I have stable. I'm, I'm financially stable now. Now mm-hmm. I can do this. And so I would set aside some money every month and I'd be like, okay, this is what I can afford. This is what I can't, this is what I can afford. And, you know, just go from there. And so, mm-hmm. um, it, it was it like my development as far as like plans go was pretty mediocre to be mm-hmm. honest with you compared to now. But at the same time, like there was a lot of stuff during that time frame that just wasn't feasible financially for me, you know, and this was, I was the only one financially doing this. Mm-hmm. And so like, and I had other bills to pay. And so it was like, okay, so I have a limit and I need to stick to that limit or. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's hard to know when that limit is too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It is. And so I think that was kind of like the biggest thing for me was, was really making sure that I'm focusing on that. So when you see, so, so you're back in, I want to say the Seattle area, you're back in Washington. Where in Washington are you? Can I ask? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm about 20 minutes north of Washington mm-hmm. at the top of like Lake Washington area. So it's a, it's a great little spot, I think. So you're, you're in Seattle now, you got back from college, you're trying to figure out like adult life and such. Your collection now is insane. <laughs> You've got <laughs> just kind of anything, throw a dart at like a list of reptiles and they probably have it. So at the time that you were getting back from uh, New York, you still like, like the ball pythons a lot. What mm-hmm. was kind of your transition from ball pythons into some more of these advanced or like less common species? It kind of depends. Like, I, I think the biggest limiting factor was just not having, uh, other than like my dad was having support, mm-hmm. um, you know, caring for some of these animals or like one, there wasn't a lot of information on them at the time. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, yeah, this is a cool species I want to work with, but I'm like, but I don't know who keeps them. I don't know who breeds them and I don't know Mm -hmm. how to contact somebody who does. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was looking, you know, flipping through books and whatever else, you know, that, that, what will people do nowadays? Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And I was like, that's cool. This is, you know, and I just, for some reason, I just thought a lot of these things were unattainable because I just Mm -hmm. didn't have that, that contact didn't have that, I guess, community sense. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, with Facebook and how it's ever evolved, um, those kind of options opened up to me. But at the time I was, you know, like ball pythons, like in a sense, like, I don't want to say they're easy, but they're definitely not as tedious Mm -hmm. as other species may be, especially when it comes to their temperaments or, or things like, you know, just the nuances of certain species. Mm -hmm. Um, So it wasn't really until that, I mean, I had a white lip. I had southern white lips um, before I met Jeff. I had uh, carpet pythons, and then I had ball pythons. And, like that was my that was my little group. And I was like, okay, this is cool, but like, what else can I do? And mm-hmm. at that time, I was very limited just because it was just me taking care of all these animals. And so my collection went from like, you know, a couple corn snakes to a ball python to you know almost eighty animals. Mm-hmm. in a couple months and so I was like all right it's I need to s- I need to slow down like I was like really digging in I was like the breeding thing is really cool like learning all this information is awesome but I'm at my limit and mm-hmm. so it wasn't really until I met Jeff that I was like wow I have somebody else here who also enjoys these animals and maybe we can go do something else with this mm-hmm. and that's when and that's when you know, it's been like what a year and a half two years now that since I met him that our collection has really grown since then so so can you talk about that a little bit so who who is Jeff 
Oh, uh, Jeff, Jeffrey, uh, Geoff. Jeffrey, Geoff, <laughs> Geoffrey. Yeah, uh, boy. Um. <laughs> <laughs> right? No. Um, Jeff is uh, Jeff is the other half of Puget Sound Pythons. Jeff and I met via, I think, Instagram. Nice. Um, yeah, and I hadn't even realized that we were friends until like. I guess because we had we had been friends, I guess, because of reptiles. Um, mm-hmm. He had some reptiles and like, I don't know, at this point, like I wasn't really paying attention to my Instagram followers. No offense to, to some folks, but no I was just like, my fans. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, well, yeah, I wasn't a lot like going on. <laughs> I wasn't interacting with every single person right, who wanted right, to right. follow me. Right. And so like it popped up on my feed one day and he, it was like, you know, this guy who was at a kangaroo farm. And I was like, oh, interesting picture. And then I saw it said Arlington, Washington as the tag like the location tag and mm-hmm. i was like i'm sorry what the fuck like there's a, <laughs> <laughs> there are kangaroos in washington <laughs> and so then i messaged him and I, you know i slid into them dms mm-hmm. and i was like yo what's up with this kangaroo farm like where in arlington like what the hell and so then it just kind of blossomed from there mm-hmm. and um we went on our first date a couple weeks later um he admitted to me later on because like I was really secretive on my Facebook. Like I literally had one profile picture and that was mm-hmm. it. Oh and yeah. Then- and I know the picture. Yeah. Cause yeah, it's, it's that one of you with like, was it Captain America or something? Or- oh yeah. I was shit faced in that photo. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was one of our, our Buffalo Rager garage parties where I'm nice. pretty sure I blacked out. That'll be um, Daytona. Let's recreate the picture. Oh, hell yeah, girl. Let's do it. Yeah. We'll all dress up as Kendra one night. <laughs> right i'll bring the army the <laughs> army helmet yes please <laughs> yeah it was a it was a halloween it was a halloween party in some some guy's garage it was like a bunch of people anyway mm-hmm. but anyway back to the story um and so he admitted to me later on that he was like i like going into this day i literally thought like there's like a 60 percent chance you were a dude because like, <laughs> i was so and he still secretive. did it <laughs> yeah and he still did it like he was so secret like i was so secret about it he was just like so unsure he's like I don't know if you're a real person and so like on my Instagram at the time like I didn't have any photos of me with any of the animals it's just like the animals or like my hand or something Mm -hmm. and um we went on this great date, like first date, like he didn't know that I played ice hockey. He surprised me with some tickets, to, like the local, uh, Everett silver tips, uh, ice hockey team game, um, in the local area. And we went, we went, you know, we bar hopped before then, then we went to the, the game and it was just like literally the perfect, perfect first date ever. Mm-hmm. And it was just awesome. And it just, since then, it's just been like, it's just been great. It's, it's been so easy for us mm-hmm. because, I think because we do share that bond and that passion for the hobby and the reptiles. Granted, right. like I was already, you know, like eight plus years in at this point. Mm-hmm. And where <laughs> so, was he at, like keeping wise? I think he was only a, a few years in. Okay. He had he had some carpet pythons, I think, and then um, he was holding on to some blood pythons for a friend. But um, yeah, it wasn't like he had just he was you know, like a little baby when it came to being into the hobby and, (laughs) (laughs) and all that. And so like, he was really fresh into it. And so like, it was, it was cool to be able to kind of see things from his perspective and Mm -hmm. like, you know, see the, see the things that he went through, um, up until that point, especially in the Pacific Northwest, because our reptile community, I mean, compared to the East coast and a lot of other States, it's, it's fairly small. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people know who each other are. And, and that's how a lot of people learn is just from literally in person. So that right. was, 
that was really neat to kind of see his perspective on things. Were you looking to date someone who had reptiles? Because I think this is an interesting topic because I, I talk to my friends who are single who have reptiles and it's like 50, 50, like, yeah, I want to date someone who shares my hobby or it's like, no, I don't because I don't want it to become like competitive at all. (laughs) Yeah. So that's actually a really great question. Um, so previously I'd been in a relationship with somebody who was like not down at all with reptiles. Mm -hmm. And so I went from like, you know, like just dating people, whatever, and then getting into a relationship with somebody I thought was going to be like, you know, whatever. And it turns out they don't like reptiles. And I was like, this is kind of a drag like this. Yeah. That's like a big deal breaker. Yeah. And so this isn't, this isn't just a a weekend hobby. This isn't just like your Friday night knitting club with your girlfriends Mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like this is a lifestyle. And so finding somebody who's also like, okay with that, at the very least, I think is important um, because, you know, the realization is like, like, again, these are living creatures. They do need you on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. You know, if somebody's not down with you spending time in your reptile room, you know, an hour or whatever each day, spending time in the reptiles, you know, if it's, if it's cleaning or feeding or just interacting with them, mm-hmm. then, you know, you kind of have to think about, okay, is this, this is going to be a thing for me. If this is something I'm passionate about, I need to make the decision to either change that lifestyle or change my partner. Mm-hmm. And so meeting Jeff was I, like, at first I really wasn't necessarily ready, I think. And so I was kind of apprehensive about like dating somebody who's also into reptiles, but just dating in general. But after a while, like I, you know, it, it made me realize like how fortunate I am that I met him because we both, share a lot of things in common outside of reptiles and, mm-hmm. and keeping and everything. And so I think that really helped like us flourish as a couple and, and like build that relationship and, and just be great partners together in the hobby. So this is slightly off, on a tangent, but I think it's really interesting. It seems like something that you've talked about um, throughout this story is how you had all these other hobbies, like, going on um how do you work to ensure that like your reptiles obviously are a big part of your life but aren't your whole life because I think a lot of times it's very easy to get so caught up in the community that like other things fall to the wayside yeah no and I yeah that is super important I think I get asked this question like at least once a month (laughs) how do you how do you do it like you Mm -hmm. have a nine-to-five job you uh I I help coach um, girls ice hockey when I can. Um, I am a weekend warrior in the sense that I do play beer league. And then I also like Jeff and I find time to go camping or go on like hikes with the dogs and then also maintain over a hundred animals. Like for a lot of people, it's like after like the hundred mark, people are like, Oh, so this is your job now. Right. I'm like, no, hobby still a hobby yeah it's still a hobby like this still isn't like my main income you know and so I think having a schedule is like the biggest thing and having and asking for help when you need it we have some great local friends plagued exotics who come and help us like like right now uh, Amanda over there helps me at least three times a week having also somebody who enjoys the hobby enjoys the animals who can help you and then you know you can help kind of maintain some sanity Mm -hmm. (laughs) to say Mm -hmm. the least because it can be very overwhelming 
And, and working with and, and having these priorities every day or every other day, whatever, it can be a little challenging. And I think that's, I think that's mainly the reason why I stuck with, with pythons in particular, or I guess snakes in general was mm-hmm. because kind of like quote, quote unquote, they're low maintenance, you know, yeah. it's not like having, comparatively. Yeah. Comparatively to like, you know, having a, a hundred geckos right. or, yeah. you know, monitor lizards or something where, you know, that's like a daily, that's a daily feeding schedule or every other day feeding schedule. And it's like, Oh, that's, that's a little too much for me. You can't like, do a weekend away. Yeah, with that. Ex- exactly. Yeah. And so that, that's like, that was kind of my, my big pressure to kind of because I, I did originally want to get into monitors and then I was realizing like how much work they are. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> like, I like, I like what I got going on. I like being able to do things outside of this and it not being so much and overbearing in my life that I, that I'm not, I'm not enjoying it anymore. You know what I mean? Cause I think that's, right. that's, that's the line that people cross a lot is they go from enjoying the animals to it becoming a job. And mm-hmm. then they're like, I can't do this anymore like I just I can't I can't do this and so I'm just gonna get out and it's so easy to get to that point especially when you know you have the financial means you you have a a a great supplier I should say a breeder someone local that you trust and and you want to grow but Mm -hmm. then it, it it interferes a lot with just your daily daily wellness and so yeah um for me, having, having a set schedule is, is priority because yeah. if I don't have that schedule, which I haven't, <laughs> yeah. and it, it was a nightmare. It was mm-hmm. an absolute nightmare. Mm-hmm. And yeah. So I, for anybody who's listening, I would say you're feeling overwhelmed, make yourself a schedule, you know, Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, you're going to spot clean or Mondays you're cleaning, you know, over the weekend, you're feeding, uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you're, you know, just checking in with the animals or working with them, whatever. So mm-hmm. getting into mm-hmm. a routine is definitely, definitely a, a pro with that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you have this great routine. You've obviously been with the animals for like eight years at this point. Jeff comes into the picture. Mm-hmm. How did you manage both of your collections together in like your different keeping styles? It was interesting at first. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, like we both had different ideas about how to, I wouldn't say necessarily keeping them, but um, our process, like our routines of the maintenance aspect, right? Um, and so that was kind of something we had to figure out. And um, like we still kind of butt heads on certain things, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but it, it's it's nice to be able to have like, that educated conversation with somebody about why like you think this is a better way to do things than the other. And so I think that's really helped us not kind of butt heads too much in that mm-hmm. aspect. Mm-hmm. Jeff had only been keeping for a couple of years at that point when I met him. And so walking into my reptile room, it was like, whoa, this is a different yeah, it's level. It's like a zoo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so like kind of, I don't want to say training, but like showing him how I'm do how I do things. Mm-hmm. And then um, being like, okay, like, this is how I do things. And like, I had to be very careful not to like, I don't know. I just been doing this for so long by myself that I had Mm -hmm. a very like strict way of doing things. And so Mm -hmm. I had to learn myself how to be open to the idea of someone else's perspective on how to do things. And that was a 
biggest challenge for me because I had no support. I didn't, you know, I was doing everything by myself previously. And then going mm-hmm. into somebody who's like, Hey, I want to help. And you're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want you to help actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And so that was, that was the biggest learning curve for me. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but yeah, it was, it was interesting. And I think we have a, we have a better rhythm now for it. I mean, we both have kind of our unique views on things and, mm-hmm. and we make it work. Mm -hmm. So what was the transition like from Kendra's animals and Jeff's animals to our animals? Um, That is still an ongoing process. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Oh, shit. You break up after this episode and I can't even air it. And I'm like, I need a new new room for Daytona. (laughs) No, no, no. I think it's more of like, uh, I have a really hard time because like this was like, I still am in that like mode of like this, this was, this was me. This was all me. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I'm still like. Sometimes I do struggle with that, but I am doing a lot better with with making the realization of like, hey, these are our animals now. You know, don't don't think too much of like who owns what, because we're both going to be taking care of them at the end of the day. <laughs> these right. are both these are all animals that we we both agreed on and that we both wanted to work with. So we need to find that that mutual uh, ground, I guess, um, to say these are ours. And this mm-hmm. isn't just yours or mine, depending on, you know, like who paid for them or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, so at, um, when, what was Jeff breeding yet when you guys got together? No, but he had the hopes to. So I think one of the biggest things that like both of us connected on was um, not like, I don't want to say this is a ball python mentality, but it's definitely something like a stigma that I've seen. Mm-hmm. um is just buying adult animals to breed them right yeah. um <laughs> you know uh, I think he had started out with like some babies and mm-hmm. he wanted to grow them up and then eventually produce things and so mm-hmm. I had to have the same mentality um when it came to that that kind of thing so I think we connected on that level and so the idea that for him was there he just hadn't implemented it quite yet walk me through a little bit what your collection is like now so you had the carpets, the white lips, the ball pythons you were bringing into the collection, and then you have moved to a, a few bigger constrictors, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the um, sigh of like, yeah, I did yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I kind of dipped my toes into that section with like uh, Demerol's boas. Um, the biggest thing I had had at the time was really um, ball pythons. Mm -hmm. So even my biggest female, which is almost at, I think 4,000 grams really wasn't that big in in Mm -hmm. comparison. And so I picked up like my first baby Demerol's boa and I was like, and at that time I had already like interacted with like, you know, some, some red tails and some other larger like constrictors, like through Mm -hmm. pet shops or whatever, local people. And, and a friend of mine reads berms. And, and so it was like a whole thing. And I was like, this is neat. However, mm-hmm. like I need to set boundaries on what I yeah. get because mm-hmm. there are like risks, you yeah, know, and I mean, you buy them little and you're like, oh, it's fine. And then you're buying like eight adult cages and it's expensive. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And you start to run out of room fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we had uh, we had the Demerals boas um, and then we ended up I don't even know, like how this transitioned I think Jeff has the full story on this we ended up getting a green anaconda and then we ended up getting another one and then another one and I was like okay we need to stop like yeah that's that's a that's like 
the snake <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> yeah yeah that's so what never... everyone imagines when I say I have like 13 snakes they're like oh and I'm like no it's nothing like the snake you're picturing because <laughs> everyone pictures like a green anaconda yeah yeah right and so like I never really had a lot of interest with like retics or berms like they were cool right but like mm-hmm. I was just like if I'm doing this by myself because at that time like that was you know it was all me and then I was like I can't I can't for safety reasons that I can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm five foot two, like I, yeah. it's just, a, it's a safety concern for me. Yeah. Um, and so I like, not until I met Jeff that I was like, oh, okay, maybe we can like look into this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got Nikki, which was our first big green anaconda. And we ended up getting like a big enclosure for her. We did a lot of research and, um, and we got her an eight foot enclosure and we got her a big water dish or big water tub, I should say, a little pond yeah. thing. And that was just like, that was so fascinating watching her and like the interactions and her behaviors and her feeding responses and just everything about her was just so fascinating. And I think that's really where I think our, because like my background is, is behavioral psychology. And so mm-hmm. like, knowing the behavior behavior is the biggest thing for me and watching these animals like you know just be in their na- like in a more naturalistic mm-hmm. setting I suppose and then natural behaviors I think was just so fascinating mm-hmm. and so that's where it kind of really took a, a different turn from keeping um not that racks or anything are bad I would say but like there's definitely you know everyone has their preference right and yeah. so taking animals and, and just in watching them and watching the naturalistic behaviors in enclosures versus tub systems or rack systems. And so that's when, you know, I mean, Jeff has always been really interested in, in Leastis. I, I, he actually introduced me into like a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, wow, this is fascinating. These animals are incredibly fascinating. Um, they're much different than like your typical standard ball pythons or corn snakes or your quote unquote traditional mm-hmm. um, reptiles. And so that is like where I was like, wow, this is this is cool. And it's a whole know, new world. It, it really is. And I, I really wish that, you know, like there's such a craze for ball pythons because, you know, they're they're great animals. Like, don't get me wrong. Um, they've done a lot for the industry and the hobby, just getting people in, et cetera. Um, but there's such a craze for just the mutation aspect instead of yeah. the species aspect of it. Yeah, it's a lot of people who want, you know, you said it, like people get into ball pythons to breed. That seems to be the trend because it's there's so much you can do with it. <laughs> You know, yeah. and, and you don't see that in as many other species. Yeah. And I, and I do get like that fascination with like the genetics and I guess the color mutations and things like that. But when you, when you really just take the time to look at these animals and just watch their behaviors, they're like, they're incredible. Like, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't mean to sound like a, like a super nerd or anything, but <laughs> <laughs> I like super nerds. Keep going. Oh, cool. Thanks. Um, <laughs> and so that was really like kind of the push to really like, think about, okay, so this is neat. What else, what else is feasible for us that we'd be interested in keeping, um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, in the, in the future, uh, breeding conservation, whatever. And right. so that was, I think the, I don't know, like it was just, it was so cool. And I, I applaud Jeff for really kind of helping me make that jump because, you know, without his support and without him at all, like I, I would probably still be breeding ball pythons. Oh. Yeah, which nothing, <laughs> nothing wrong with that, but 
no, a lot no, more out absolutely. there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, I, I think just, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's crazy how that all developed and like, I guess, I don't want to say how quickly it developed, but mm-hmm. how thoughtfully it developed mm-hmm. um, with the, with the collection and, and how, in the direction that we're going. So, yeah. So I know that you had the anacondas, you've recently gotten moved away from that project. Correct. What was your reasoning behind that? Um, well, <laughs> uh, so we ran out of room. <laughs> um, Easy peasy. And- that's your reason. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was such a fun time working with them, mm-hmm. uh, but we did want to kind of switch gears a little bit and, and kind of look at, at keeping more, uh, Liasa species and mm-hmm. more of like the, I guess, subtler, well-known things. Mm-hmm. And we, we needed the wall space. <laughs> and I hate to say that because it's not like I didn't love the animals because I absolutely did. I love every single one of the animals. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you know, you have to make those hard decisions of, okay, what can I feasibly keep and what can I not? Yeah. And if, if it's based on monetary gain, that's one aspect. If it's based on, you know, the the direction of your projects, that's another. Or if it's mm-hmm. based on, you know, you just I don't want to say you get bored of them, but you know, like everyone has their reasonings. Yeah. And your interests change. Yeah. You know, exactly. that's just the truth. Yeah. Or you yeah. realize like you, you have to be really into every species you keep mm-hmm. or else you won't be good at keeping them. It's just Absolutely. the truth. And I've noticed that myself, like I love leopard geckos. I'm shit at caring for leopard geckos because <laughs> I just it's just too much, you know, or, or, and I, I've had a couple leopard geckos and I've rehomed them because it was like, okay, I thought I really liked this. I didn't. So I'd rather it go to someone who knows they really like it. And that's, and that's, and when we found the, the new owners for, for a group, it was, it was that. And I was really, I was really happy that we found them and that we know that they're going to be well taken care of. Um, Cause these are large animals um regardless mm-hmm. of of how big they are they will get bigger and yeah. <laughs> um <laughs> and making sure that somebody is in a stable position you know has a home you know has a stable su- like food supply whatever has mm-hmm. the experience i think that was the biggest thing for us is you know not necessarily the money aspect of it but making sure that somebody has experience with large constrictors was the biggest thing because everyone you know everyone wants you know the cool retic more for the cool berm or whatever or a green anaconda but they don't have the experience with that animal and it's already Mm -hmm. an adult like that's a concern they're hard to work with yeah like they just they just are it is you know and I, I hate to bring it up but like a couple of, I think it was like two years ago now the woman who passed away or she mm-hmm. was killed because she had the snake around her neck like and it was just too big and no matter how many of these large animals you've worked with you don't know how one's going to react and mm-hmm. you have to be able to work with the animal you're keeping to not put yourself in a position that could like end fatally as can happen with these animals yeah. Yeah. There's a certain level of respect that you need to have for that animal. And, and not everybody mm-hmm. is, is I think at that maturity level to handle those animals. Yeah. You know, the same thing could be said about people who keep venomous. I mean, yeah. And, and that's a, that's a whole nother tangent. But, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We can talk about that for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But um, I think like that, that same idea there is, is making sure that if you're going to rehome a large constrictor, make sure that it's somebody who, one, you trust to, mm-hmm. you know, has that experience and, and has that confidence in, in handling and raising those animals. So, mm-hmm. 
So you, um, at the time that you were getting rid of, or excuse me, rehoming the anacondas, what mm-hmm. size were they? Nikki was about, I want to say like 10 or 11 feet. Okay. So um, she was decent. She was a big animal. Yeah. Yeah. She's, she was pretty big. Um, she wasn't super girthy though. We didn't mm-hmm. like power feed her like, like some, some folks, um, mm-hmm. do with large constrictors. So we don't, we didn't power feed her or anything. So she was like relatively smaller, I suppose. But, um, and then Bane was the big male who he, I want to say he was probably like seven, eight feet. And then, uh, we had, a. Uh, uh, little shit face um <laughs> official name was, is no, that the no. official name <laughs> no 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 actually no that was it's not the, nice to talk about jeff like that okay uh, i know listen I know. <laughs> <laughs> no he was just super wily and mm-hmm. it was just like cool so i'm just never gonna touch you because <laughs> yeah. you're just guaranteed gonna bite me every time cool and that's definitely not yeah. a bite you want yeah, thankfully he was only about three or four feet. So he we were still working with him. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just like one of those things where it's just like, okay, well, I hope you know what you're getting into because he yeah. a hole. So did they um, all go to the same keeper or did yes. you split them up? They did. No, That's nice. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we knew that they were all going to the same home and like the same treatment and you know, like it's like yeah. the experience and everything. So that was that was good for us. So I was happy. Good. Good. So you get the anacondas out, you got more wall space. What's filling it? Um, uh, so recently, <laughs> I don't know if anybody's watched our Instagram. Uh, I literally had it up before this. So, okay. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I do um, know, <laughs> uh, spoiler alert. Uh, we got, uh, three Savus, three mm-hmm. female Savus to kind of help with our liasis group. So the only one we're missing now is Fuscus. Um, mm-hmm. so we almost have you know, the infinity gauntlet of liasis and I'm so freaking excited. <laughs> so, so what are the liasis species? I, uh, I'm just not familiar with them. So, okay. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So there's Dun Python, liasis, Dunai, uh, Maclitz Python, Sabus, which are probably like for me, besides Duns were like the hardest to come by. Mm-hmm. Um, and is that because also- of just no one's working with them? They're wild caught, they're high in demand, all the above. Uh, so from my understanding, they just, a lot of people weren't working with them because they were just a little snake. Like people mm-hmm. are like, there's a lot of people, you know, like that focus on like ball pythons and, and the morphs and everything. Like these guys, mm-hmm. a lot of these species don't have morphs. It's more of like, yeah. maybe it's just, thing. that's what it is. That's the snake. Yeah. And that's in, you know, and then you have the water pythons, obviously. And then, um, so, so there's your, your five within the, within the liasis, the liasis group. And so they're just by themselves, they're those animals. And so mm-hmm. that morph craze, a lot of people just didn't recognize them as being, I guess a quote unquote viable option as far as like monetary gain. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people just didn't breed that. And, yeah. you know, they just weren't quote unquote cool looking, I guess. And mm-hmm. so because there wasn't that, that interest, that public interest to buy them, I don't think there were a lot of breeders who were keeping them and breeding them. Yeah. And so what, what is it about them that draws you to this, to this genus? You know, I don't know. I think everything. Um, yeah. Honestly, <laughs> that's a great answer. Next question. <laughs> I think just like how prehistoric they look. Mm-hmm. They look like little dinosaurs. Like, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I just I think they look cool. I think, you know, they're they're a rare species that not a lot of people keep. And mm-hmm. so just being able to like kind of be on the forefront of 
of keeping them, breeding them and, and learning from them, you know, learning mm-hmm. their behaviors, learning their naturalistic behaviors, things that, you know, that they like, that they don't like, et cetera. Um, yeah. They're uh, especially Max um, are very calculated um, and they're like, they're like white lips in the sense that they're just little friggin' heat seeking missiles. <laughs> like yes. they like, I mean, they've calmed, like ours have really calmed down, but when we first got them, it was just face every time they were just going right for her face. And it was just like, all right, you need to chill, bro. Like, I'm just trying to feed you. Like, yeah, it will I, be okay. <laughs> I pet sit for a collection that has this white lip that like, if I'm too close to the cage, it'll just be like, thump. Yeah. It's the glass behind me. And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. Your heat panel can stay unplugged in. They'll deal with that when they get home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, Jen and Eric, if you're listening, I do plug it back in. Just, you know, <laughs> like hire me again. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, with them, like it, like white lips are a whole other friggin' animal. Um, but, and they're like, kind of, for me, like with the interactions with them, it's, it's kind of a, it's kind of a hit or miss. Right. Mm -hmm. So like our dense pythons, which are phenomenal, um, from, from Ryan Young at molecular reptiles. Um, if you don't know who that is, I'm sorry for you. Um, I I don't know him personally, but I love his animals. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Ryan is literally the best person. Like he is fantastic. He is a wealth of knowledge. Um, but so our dance pythons came from him. And so like, they are sweet as can be like, they're super sweet. I mean, besides like the male, like kind of being a little anxious and like wanting to musk me all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the Sabus, which are also like little heat seeking missiles. And then the <laughs> Maclets were like that as well when they were uh, a little younger. Now they're starting to calm down a little bit. And then you have the olive pythons um, who are very temperamental, at least ours mm-hmm. are. Like mm-hmm. our male is kind of, uh, he's like really chill in the cage. Um, when you pull him out, he's pretty chill. And then he sees Jeff and then he wants to eat Jeff. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Jeff is a snack. Um, oh, no, sorry. For I sure. Think. For sure. <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. It's that mustache. It's that mustache, man. <laughs> I feel like I shouldn't hit on your boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> I know what I got. <laughs> and then our, then our female olive is a puppy dog for him, but wants to murder me That's inside so and outside of the cage. <laughs> so like, I'm just like, you're y'all cool but y'all need to chill like we're gonna get you to that point but y'all need to chill (laughs) are you noticing that these are like I mean it's hard to say a smart species when it comes to any snake but are they more an intelligent or intuitive species than others you've worked with um I would say so to a point I would Mm -hmm. say probably our Wamina scrubs are uh I wouldn't I don't want to I don't want to put a label of intelligence but I want to put a label of um, almost most aware yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, like when I bring, when I bring Bonnie out or our Wamina scrub, like she is checking everything out. Like she is mm-hmm. like, what is going on over here? What is going on over there? Who are you? Why are you touching me? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm okay with this right now, but I just want to go up and yeah. like just her, her behaviors are, are incredible. And so I think, I think out of everything, our, our, our Wamina scrubs are probably the most, um, yeah, I guess just perceptive with mm-hmm. everything going on. Um, the the olives are definitely the same way. Um, we have them in uh, four foot enclosures right now and in our secondary living room. And so I'll, I'll be sitting on the couch and just watching them. Mm-hmm. And like, they're, they're just, they're crazy. They just go wild in their cage and it's so fascinating. Yeah. Um, but they, they'll watch you. 
Like if I'm in that room and, I, and I'm doing something else, they'll just, they'll follow me. They'll just do whatever I'm doing. They'll just be like checking me out and making sure that I'm not a threat. And and, it, <laughs> and then there's the female who's just like on the glass, like, let me out so I can kill you. And <laughs> it's, have, a, um, it's a fun time. <laughs> I've got one of my Brettles pythons from Casey Cannon. I just upgraded them into like 36 by 18 by 18 setups. And one of them sits at the glass and I'll just open the door and I sit on my couch with a snake hook to push it back into the enclosure because it just likes to explore. And then it'll like go up a little bit and I just take it down with the snake hook and like push it back and let him come back out later. And <laughs> it's it's fun to have an animal that is more, more interested. It's so hard because I don't want to anthropomorphize, but like, yeah. You can tell with some animals, especially some species versus others, that they are just more aware. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I don't know, like, at what level that awareness is there or not, if it's more of like a, a fight or flight instinct more so. But um, yeah, it's, it's definitely it's definitely interesting to see the differences because you take like the difference between a, a ball python versus, you know, a scrub and it's it's a 180 like it's you can you can even say a ball python versus like a corn snake (laughs) you know are you are you hating on ball pythons right Uh, now no i have ball pythons i love my ball pythons but it is just like it is a species that like could live under a rock i feel like i could leave the tubs open 24 7 and they would never leave you know, I feel yeah, that way with yeah. my green trees too. They're just very content species. Yeah. Yeah. They're very uh, stationary. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Versus like an olive python that will fucking run laps in its cage all night long and all day and yeah. still have the energy to try to tag you four feet out of its cage. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, they're definitely interesting. And it, and it's, that's the cool part about being able to like kind of evolve like, you know, the hobby, like, or in, in our, in our, I guess, in our sense, um, in our collection, it, it's nice to have that variety, I guess, mm-hmm. that interactive mm-hmm. variety, I suppose. Um, not that like keeping ball pythons is bad or, or anything like that. It's no, just, there's it's- no ball python hate here. Good, good. Okay. Yeah. yeah no, um, I, I love them there. <laughs> I think they're an important, like, it's like the cornerstone of our hobby is ball oh, pythons. Abso- absolutely. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, I don't know. It's just, it's so fun. I just find mm-hmm. it so every day it's something new. And mm-hmm. I think that's what really helps me keep like this a passion versus, you know, a job at the end of the day. Yeah. So you have a very diverse collection. How do you choose what animal comes in next? And then how do you work with like trying to go through a breeder versus potentially getting a wild caught animal and all that? Um, so we have a DNS or do not sell or do not buy list. Mm-hmm. Um, we have particular people on there <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> as so, every breeder should. Yeah. And so we, we really base it off like, and, and uh, I wouldn't say we're very opportunistic, mm-hmm. um, but we tend to be with certain things when we were provided the opportunity to work with Sabu's, we jumped on it and we were like, uh, yes, please. We've been looking, I have been looking for like five years for sabus mm-hmm. a female sabu just a single female sabu and of course there's yeah. not ever available and th- no you can never find a single female of any like exciting yeah. animal oh yeah right like that's just like that yeah that's like finding a goddamn unicorn so yeah. <laughs> i think when- that's a little bit easier <laughs> <laughs> right yeah and so when we were we were gifted the opportunity to work with three females mm-hmm. i was like okay do you you want my firstborn child 
or my life. Do you savings. want both of them? Do you want yeah. like, cool. do you want like, Jeff? Yeah. You can take you, Jeff. You can have him. I will wrap him up for you. <laughs> <laughs> he only needs one heat pack, just one yeah. meal a week. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so, um, we, we had that opportunity. I was like, um, we know who this person, you know, we always do our research on, on the, on the person or the seller. And mm-hmm. so we're like, okay, we know this person's legitimate. We know that these animals are going to be healthy and happy, et cetera. Um, so yes, we will take them. And sorry, my dogs are fighting. You're fine. <laughs> I turned um, earlier because I heard my cat, like, I don't know what she was doing. I don't care. As long as there's no glass shattering, whatever. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's, there's, there's other things like, you know, there, uh, when it comes to like wild caught stuff, we're very careful about who we buy from now. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, you say now, have you had issues in the past? Oh, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We got, um, some, uh, Northern white lips in from, uh, exporter and, or importer exporter. And, um, it was, it was not as bad of a process as I thought I was aware mm-hmm. of the situation and one of the animals came in with a respiratory infection mm-hmm. what I wasn't aware of was that it was still an issue after they said that they had taken it to a vet gotcha. and they said they were it was fine and they were gonna ship they shipped they shipped the animal came in with respiratory and I was like yo what's up like <laughs> love that great yeah yeah so thanks for this problem child um mm-hmm. we'll go ahead and take care of it uh but for the future you know like keep it cordial keep it professional just you know here's an update you know I we would update them saying hey you know this animal is is progressing either up or down whatever and mm-hmm. so I think I think when it comes to like getting wildcat stuff, it's definitely like, you need to understand what you're getting. Yes. You know, like I always go into getting wildcat stuff is okay. Guaranteed. It's, it's going to have some sort of internal or external parasites. Like- yeah. So I got my first wildcat animal a few months ago now. Mm-hmm. And after the panic treatment, it had a worm that literally looked like an earthworm come out of its body. And so like, you know, like just dealing with reptiles, you're going to deal with, with mites. Like that's just, you know, an aspect of keeping reptiles, regardless mm-hmm. if you want them or not, more than likely you're going to get mites eventually. Mm-hmm. And, um, so this thing had come in with ticks, like legit. Ooh, yeah. And I was like, yo, bro, what <laughs> the hell is this? Didn't notice that at the vet with the RI. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. And so I sent them a picture like, oh, it looks like a wood mite. And I'm like, motherfucker, like <laughs> I know what a fucking <laughs> wood mite looks like versus a full blown blood sucking tick. Yeah. But thank you for clarifying that I will not be purchasing from you in the future. Mm-hmm. And I sent them an image of a comparison between a wood mite and a tick. And Hell yeah. Do it. Good. I Good. Like, As you should have cool so uh, <laughs> this isn't a wood night uh, so how is how is that animal doing uh much better much better good now. so it made it yeah 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 yeah. so we we did everything we we needed to to take care of that animal um it's still in quarantine it's been in quarantine for i think six months now mm-hmm. at this point just because like i would rather be safe than sorry especially yeah. when it yeah. comes anything wild caught like I am never ever like we have a secure and proper quarantine procedure and that has saved our collection on so many different times. Yeah. Just, so t- tell me a little bit more about your quarantine. Okay. So anytime we get any new animal, it goes into either our, uh, our first 
quarantine or well, anytime we get an animal, we'll go into our first stage of quarantine. We have a secondary room for a secondary quarantine. Um, so any new animal goes into our, our main quarantine room. They have to be there minimum. And this is a minimum of 90 days. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means that it is completely like after that 90 days, we haven't had a single issue. Mm-hmm. If any issues pop up, that, that timeline starts over. Mm-hmm. Um, any animals that are possibly currently in that room with that animal, also their timeline starts over for another 90 days. Um, we treat everything uh, mm-hmm. that needs to be treated. Um, we use, we do a frontline treatment for any incoming animal, just for external parasites, um, right. anything wild caught, we'll obviously treat with, with Panicare and, and anything with, uh, any RIs or anything. We'll, we'll, tr- we'll do our best to kind of treat it naturally and let the animal kind of handle that. If not, we'll intervene with like Batril or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if there's a, t- uh, a time period of 90 days and, it'll after that 90 days and you know like we're on the fence or we might be getting another animal we'll move that animal to the secondary quarantine room and then it'll start another 90 days in that area um and then the newest arrival go back into that main room and then that 90 days etc um Mm -hmm. but we we are like i like in the beginning i had gotten snakes you know, that were apparently mite free, of course, because of that, I've been really strict. I mean, that, that was one of the things I learned, like right from the get go quarantine. And it mm-hmm. made sense, right? Like if you're mm-hmm. sick, you don't want to be around other people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to get them sick. And so right. that was just kind of like just basic knowledge. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning I was, you know, like, I think the standard was like 30 days quarantine. Mm-hmm. And I was like, cool. And then I got an animal that was like physically mite free after 30 days. I, and this is like way back when the day and mm-hmm. it was apparently mite free. And then I got it in after 30 days. Oh, what pops up? Mites. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, there are mites here and here and everywhere. What the fuck? And yeah. And so then after that, I did more research on like the actual gestation cycle of mites and, and mm-hmm. the whole egg cycle and everything. And I was like, oh shit. So Pam doesn't kill everything. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, <laughs> that Vaseline method obviously doesn't work. I don't know who, who ever started that myth. I, well, I think it's so funny that you say Pam. Cause I remember at the beginning, I was like, people spray their animals with Crisco. <laughs> like, okay. And now oh I'm like, gosh. oh, Prevenamite. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I thought the very first thing too. Um, and then someone explained to me, I was like, oh, okay. That's yeah. Bad. I totally knew that the whole time never had to ask a question I would just yeah for sure yeah okay yeah use Pam yeah me too (laughs) mom can I borrow your Pam (laughs) what are you doing in there just Pam and my snakes yeah yeah. so after that incident that's when I like really ticked online to like actually like researching like parasites and then that was like a whole different thing um but yeah, I mean, the same thing. We do the exact same thing when it comes to taking animals to shows. Mm-hmm. Any animal we take to a show and any animal we, we end up bringing back from a show, quarantine, 90 days minimum. Yeah. Um, you just, you never know, you know, mm-hmm. if, mm-hmm. If, it's, if it's the people who are next to you at the show, if it's people who are not even touching your animals, but who brush up against the booth, you know, most of us have cloth tablecloths. Well, yeah. that's a perfect little climbing area for mm-hmm. parasites, you know, and then if they obviously touch the animal and they've been touching other animals at the show who also have mites, that's an immediate transferable thing. So, mm-hmm. you know, we, we Pam, uh, all of our equipment, uh, we, I, 
after shows, before shows, and then everything goes into quarantine for 90 days. Mm-hmm. And so that's just, we're really strict about that because <laughs> I <Yes>. don't, <laughs> mites are, I mean, besides mites, I mean, anything else, like, you know, any sort of virus or bacterial infections, like it's just a nightmare to deal with. And I'd rather not have to have that spread to mm-hmm. the entire collection. I have to treat a hundred animals versus treating one animal. <laughs> right. So when you are in your quarantine, are you testing for anything regularly or is it more like a visual check? Um, it's more of a visual check. I do get my animals uh, annually checked at our at our local reptile vet just just for basics. Every single one of them. Yeah, yeah. So the local, the local. Jeez. The, I, know, I know. I think it, that's great, but I'm thinking in my head what my vet charges, and I'm like, okay, cool, Kendra. <laughs> yeah. No. Okay. So that's the great thing about our local vet. So um, our local exotic vet, um, they specialize in reptiles, and so. They mm-hmm. have a standard flat rate of $100. Um, doesn't matter okay. if, if you bring in, I think if the standard is one to 10 animals, it's $100. It's $100. Okay, that's nice. Each. Over shit. 10, over 10, flat rate. Oh, hell yeah. Thank God. Yeah. yeah. Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> so- I was sitting here like, Kendra, do you need help? <laughs> 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 Subscribe to my OnlyFans. I'm being so poor. <laughs> Jeff has an OnlyFans too. Yeah. <laughs> Just the mustache. <laughs> For real. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, we've joked about that so many times. Um- <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't judge. This is a very positive podcast. We support yeah, yeah. guests. <laughs> If you need me to add that link in the description, that's fine. <laughs> oh my gosh. No, but yeah. So our local vet has been really great with that because that's been a friggin' lifesaver. Mm-hmm. So like when there, you know, if there's ever a concern about like a respiratory infection, like, you know, it, if there has been, you know, if it getting to other animals and we didn't isolate it in time or, you know, if there's anything that we need to address within, you know, we just bring everything. I, I try to bring them in, in groups, you know, it'll be about two to three hundred dollars you know in different size groups because it does take a while yeah (laughs) the Mm -hmm. last time the last group I brought in was uh 40 animals and it it took about four hours yeah I can imagine and that seems fast yeah it's like an animal every five minutes yeah you know and they have to weigh them they have to uh swab for any interior uh mouth infections or anything like that um I don't think they did blood samples thankfully but they just did like a visual exam um mm-hmm. and then just talk asked me about the animal and you know mm-hmm. they write a little blurb whatever and then yeah. I came home with like a stack of papers on every individual animal and, <laughs> and you put so- that in your file and you're like do this again next year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and you know, like that was that's just something that we try to do um, when we have the funds and when we have the means to do it because I, mm-hmm. I think that is really important. I, you know, it, like it's just like going for an annual for a human. You want to make sure you're mm-hmm. healthy. You want to make sure your animals are healthy. If yeah. you're going to be breeding them, you're going to be regardless if you're keeping them. If you want to be breeding them, you want to make sure they're tip top shape. Yeah. Know? So yeah, for yourself and then also for the people who are getting your animals down the line. Yeah. Yeah. And, and for the animal's health and safety as well. I mean, you don't want to mm-hmm. obviously breed or, or, or keep sick animals together or, you know, with the potential that it could spread. So yeah, try to be, sure. try to be uh, uh, proactive as much as possible versus reactive. So once they get into your main collection, what species are you working with? What is your collection looking like as far as breeding for this season and then upcoming years? 
Um, okay, so that's a broad question. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but okay, so we'll start with this season. This season, uh, we're hoping for uh, more Demeros babies, obviously, uh, ball pythons. That's like a that's like a standard. And okay, then- I'm gonna I'm gonna pause. Can we discuss the Dumerals or Dumerals uh, boom this year? Um, yes, but I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> it's just, it's so interesting. So I've, I've spoken with a couple people very briefly about it. Do you have like a synopsis? Um, I think basically like what happened was people were producing a lot of them. The value of them dropped. And mm-hmm. then because the value dropped, everyone stopped producing them because they're like mm-hmm. eh, I'm not you know I'm not getting anything for these why am I right. putting all this effort and money into them and mm-hmm. then everybody dropped at the same time and then all of a sudden there was nobody who was mm-hmm. reading them and then all of a sudden you get one guy on YouTube who's like yo I have these these are amazing here's why and then people are like holy crap these are awesome I want them and he's like cool 900 bucks Jeez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it was just like, oh, okay. So that's a thing. <laughs> so how, how do you, as someone who is producing them, like react to that? Did you change your prices? Did you like, I mean, and no, no judgment if you did, cause it makes sense supply and demand. Like what was your reaction as someone who's working with those animals to like that interest? I was, I mean, I was excited for it to a point. I was excited that like, hey, we're actually getting some things that are, some eyes on different species. So mm-hmm. people can actually genuinely enjoy the beauty of these animals. That right. right there was like, that's cool. Putting a kind of an unobtainable price tag on them was, was I had different feelings about it. It did mm-hmm. limit, it did limit impulse buys because that $900. Which is always a good thing. <laughs> Absolutely. And that was like the big benefit of it. At the same time, I was like, eh, I feel I felt kind of apprehensive about putting a price tag that high. So we, mm-hmm. we when we ended up selling ours, we didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, we had just like we were so lucky we we got into it, like, I guess at the right time, we had babies right at the right moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so last year we had we had our litter. Um, and then this year we're having another litter just because I really do enjoy them. Like they're, mm-hmm. they're great, calm species to work with. And yeah. I really- I, I've worked with them. I have limited experience when I worked in a zoo and I really okay. liked them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're really, I mean, they're really calm. Um, mm-hmm. like a bit, like if you want to get into a bigger size, but not go so extreme, like they're awesome, you yeah. know, visually appealing they have really incredible behavior um they're just they're really cool animals like a like a boed species they're really cool and so mm-hmm. i was like this is awesome i'm glad someone's doing it however i feel like they're kind of i mean i don't want to say over marketing it but mm-hmm. kind of kind of over marketing it but it mm-hmm. has its pros right you don't get those impulse buys you don't get people just trying to right. buy everything out from under you just so they have it right and that is you know the whole you know, economic theory of supply and demand, you know, (laughs) one person says it's cool. It happens in every industry. It's a little bit more, you have to be more cautious when you're dealing with live animals, but in any other industry, if you were selling like bags that all of a sudden got really popular, you wouldn't even think twice of upping the price that much, you know? Exactly. Yeah. And so that was, yeah, that was an interesting time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've got the Dumerals, you're working with the ball pythons. What else are you looking at this season? Um, we just had uh, some IJ eggs, and then um, we're hoping for our southern white lips 
to go this season mm-hmm. are uh, Boyega Cyania and then um, our Brazilian Remo Boas. Awesome. Those, those are the main ones that we have paired up. Um, in the next few years, oh, and then also, I guess we've had a litter of Candoya Polsenai, and then we're excited. oh, exciting. Yeah, and then we have our second litter. Uh, hopefully soon. She's mm-hmm. kind of they're really like because they're a smaller species. For me, mm-hmm. they're really hard to read. And do so they like, double clutch often? Not that I'm aware of. This is a okay. separate female. This is oh female. okay. I was like yeah. holy shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, this is a separate female. Okay. Um, so we're kind of like I like I don't we didn't see them actually copulate. So I'm like it's kind of like I know like you're swelling and mm-hmm. I don't think it's ovulation. So I'm pretty sure that you're full of babies. So let's mm-hmm. just go already. Like I've been waiting like a month for you to go and you're just not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but in the next couple couple years, we're we're hoping for uh, all the pythons, obviously uh, northern white lip pythons, more southern, mm-hmm. um, obviously the demerals, more ball pythons, um, the bloods we were hoping would go this season. I don't think they took. Um, and then we're hoping for uh, probably, I mean, this is cup like quite a ways, but the duns, the maclets and the sabus, um, then Wilma's eventually. Mm-hmm. We do have a, a pretty good theme, uh, pretty big size female. And so we're really hoping that um, after, you know, after this year that we can kind of, uh, get her acclimated and everything that maybe we can find a male for her and, and do it that way. And then, um, we did purchase, uh, we did recently pick up, uh, Apodora Papawana. And so I am really excited about that. Jeff is like ecstatic. Like he's a little schoolboy when it comes to this species. Like, yeah. So, so excited. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, it's awesome. (laughs) Really big. (laughs) Yeah. So do you have any species on your, like, dream list still like animals you really would like to get to work with in the future realistically you know that you think you would like to add to the collection soon I, I honestly think Sabu's kind of completed I mean maybe Fuscus we haven't we don't have any water pythons mm-hmm. yet so mm-hmm. I mean that is definitely like on our on our to get list because I do really want to work with them um but as far as like other species I like my my original unobtainable unattainable goal was a white lit python at the point like I would Oh and you've them. got them. You've got I have a bunch. so many. <laughs> I have so many of them now. I'm just like why? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we have like a we have a 2.3 group of northerns and then a 1.1 of southerns. Mm-hmm. I mean, ideally I would like to get more southerns mm-hmm. um just because they are harder to come by and, and they are from what i've heard a little more uh harder to breed but i don't know mm-hmm. like to what end um but yeah. i got my i got my golden child which was the sabus like i've wanted sabus <laughs> for like the longest time um i had my white lips so i was like okay i'm done with that project let's move on to sabus and then i mm-hmm. was like i'm never gonna get them they're never gonna be available <laughs> yeah and you like get them from Gary Shavito like and I'm like he'll never sell them like yeah (laughs) (laughs) so so with the um northern versus southern white lips what's the biggest difference between caring for them or is there a difference between caring for them or or general behavior that you notice because I know that white lips are just pissy animals yes um and I wouldn't say so much pissy as more just credibly sensitive defensive animals like mm-hmm. they're just on high alert mode all the time like yeah there is they're very no anxious off. yeah there's no off for them yeah. um it's I like would the say... chihuahua of snakes 
and, yeah you know just like I, I real so, ready to go i think they have a uh, meaner bite but yeah yeah <laughs> just a little bit <laughs> um i would say that i don't know the northerns like our northerns are a little bit bigger than our southerns obviously um mm-hmm. but i don't know i've like from the experience that i've had so far with with the southerns mm-hmm. they they tend to calm down more um than the northerns northerns are just wily as fuck and like they will just they they just want to destroy everything in sight mm-hmm. um until like you get them like figured out and i think that's like one of the things that people don't like everyone's like impulse buys are like oh my god like this beautiful instagram snake i need to get it and yeah get it's like gorgeous i mean they are i think that the interest too is that like it's like the poor man's bolens python you know <laughs> <laughs> like it just you know, yeah. it's got that nice, yeah. like black and white face and yeah. Yeah. And then that iridescence in the sun mm-hmm. and whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then people don't realize like what their behaviors are and mm-hmm. how they are in general. And it's not like keeping a freaking ball python or a corn snake. Like this is a completely on a different level. And if you don't have experience with like highly agitative animals, mm-hmm. you will not succeed in that animal's no. health will decline. Um, obviously white lips are much more sensitive when it comes to hydration mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest killer of, of white lip pythons is just not that knowledge I don't know why like people are just like oh well I'll just give it water every week I'm like no 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 <laughs> it will die like yeah do they need hi- like really high humidity like larger water dishes or the, I think the, the biggest thing is like they just they're like bloods like they just drink a lot of water and if mm-hmm. you don't have water like they'll they'll perish in like a day hmm. uh, and so that's just like one of those like little nuances, I think, that's keeping with the species that that um, I've unfortunately had to learn the hard way. Mm-hmm. Um, when I originally got my my original southern white lip pair a long time ago, um, I had gone out for the weekend for for something. I had gone out of state and uh, he had the male had tipped his water dish over during mm-hmm. that time and completely emptied it. And so when mm-hmm. I came back, he is he had already he'd already perished and so making sure that like I, I guess they're more high maintenance in that aspect but yeah I, I'm in my reptile room every other day so it doesn't really matter yeah. but mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah I think that's the biggest I mean there's not really a big difference between characteristically between them they're both you know assholes <laughs> <laughs> I mean at least you're like to the point you're pretty honest <laughs> yeah I mean I working like it, the biggest thing for me is just been working with them if you don't mm-hmm. work with them that behavior is going to stay the same Mm-hmm. But if you work with them, like that, it'll change. It just takes time. You know, it takes a long, long time. I mean, it's, they're highly sensitive. And so I think I mentioned before, like I was, I was pulling out the mail one time and the cat had walked in the room and then walked out and he was fine. We had been working for months and he was handleable. Turn around to tag me. Mm-hmm. Immediately after that, he was like, I had to go through months of doing the exact. Yeah, you lost the trust. Yeah. And so like, that was the biggest thing. Uh, especially with these like kind of uh, reactive or I don't want to say I don't want to anthropomorphize and say intelligent but you know just yeah it's it yeah it's hard to to describe them without using human terms yeah yeah and so if you yeah if you don't have that trust you don't you don't build that connection with that animal like of course it's not gonna like you of course it's Mm -hmm. gonna see you as a threat and of course it's gonna be defensive Mm -hmm. so you know you can't just stick it in a box and just think it's gonna be happy with you one day and then you know, it's going to be temperamental. No, it's always going to be temperamental unless you work with that animal. Mm-hmm. I just don't think a lot of people do that. 
Mm-hmm. They're just like, oh, yeah. it's going to be an asshole. So I'll just leave it alone forever and then make sure it's yeah. fed and clean and, you know, has fresh water, but I'll just never touch it. And that'll be the end of it. It's like, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, it does not help. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to a point, like you don't want to overstress, but at the same time, if you do want to have that connection with the animal, you, you do need to work with it at some level. Yeah. So. And I think there's a, you know, like no one likes getting bit, but there's, there's some animals that like you have to take a tag or two from to like actually work with them. Oh yeah. Yeah. With the white lips, it's just like guaranteed every time I go in there, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm going to get tagged. Like it's just, <laughs> it's just one of those things where it's just like, it's going to happen. I, yeah. just need to, I need to own up to it and I just need to face it. And I, you know, I don't want to say I don't need to, don't be a pussy about it, but like, <laughs> yeah, just suck it up. So we are actually reaching the end of our time, which is insane because I oh, wow, could yeah. talk to you forever. Um, and we'll get the chance. Uh, <laughs> so I, I just like to ask, what do you think your advice is for girls or, or younger people who are looking to get into the hobby and maybe intimidated by either the culture or the animals? Um, I don't want to be straightforward about it, but don't be. Mm-hmm. I mean, women play a, a great role in reptile keeping. Mm-hmm. I mean, for once, let's be honest, like we're prettier. Like <laughs> I mean, we're, yeah. We're, we're Just visually, straight to the point. Yeah, we're visually more appealing, right? You go to an expo. Um, I mean, the other aspect of that is okay, so uh like not to be blunt, but we we're, we're women in general, I think to the general public are more trusting and more you're more likely to go to a woman and ask questions if you're mm-hmm. a woman yourself than yeah. you are to go to a man to ask the same question if there's women mm-hmm. right there yeah. and so I think that's a really important role that we play especially in like local expos right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, don't be intimidated by these other guys mm-hmm. because at the at the end of the day like if a mom has a 13 year old girl or a 13 year old boy who wants to you know, learn about the species, whatever, who is she going to take her kid to you or the dude next to you at the other booth? Mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of the advantage, right? And so being able to help being that, I don't want to say be that necessarily that role model, but being that, that point of entry into the hobby, I think Mm -hmm. is really vital, especially when it comes to shows and education um, and just being that point of contact for people. Cause it is a very intimidating world. If you are outside of the reptile community and you go to one of these shows, you you look at a vendor and you're like, well, I'm not going to buy anything. They're going to answer my questions. Mm -hmm. But if you go to a woman, you're like, Hey, I have my son or daughter has this question. Do you think we can hold one of these? Whatever. It happens all the time mm-hmm. uh, for, for Jeff and I. I mean, granted, most people go to me and like, hey, is Jeff available? I have questions. I'm like, fuck off. This is my table. Yeah. You can okay. ask me questions. Shut up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's However, like, I actually know the answers better than Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like his, his mustache is pretty, but. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It doesn't hold any secrets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um so yeah I think you know and the other thing is it's like it's okay to not know everything Mm -hmm. at the end of the day like this is an ever-evolving uh hobby industry whatever we don't have all the answers yet Mm -hmm. and I don't think we ever will you know and and that can be said about anything really um and that's okay but be open to learning and being mm-hmm. be open to the educational information that might be presented in a non-educational way, you yeah. know, do your own, do your own uh, proactive work, do your own legwork of finding out information. Don't just rely on other people to give you information because 
I mean, Facebook and social media is not necessarily a academic platform, <laughs> to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, and Unless while- you're Travis Wyman. Then he just has it. Just ask him for an article. He'll get it for you. (laughs) I was just going to say, yeah, unless you know, you know, somebody who in academia who does this for a living and Mm -hmm. has the answers for you and reach out to those people. Don't be afraid to talk to people. I think Facebook is a great platform for that because it opens that ability to communicate with people and to not be afraid to, Mm -hmm. you know, like going up to a stranger in person is one thing, but if you're behind your screen and you can just send a message to somebody it removes that that intimacy or that that anxiety might someone might have with with talking to someone so yeah yeah sorry I had to yell at my cat um (laughs) but you made a very good point um and I I think that's you know like an excellent place to to end with your your thoughts and and I think you make a good Uh uh-oh I muted myself. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really good at this podcasting thing. This is my 10th episode. Just killing it. Man, um, you're just learning. That's okay. That is okay. Yeah, you're right. I should be open to learning more yeah, and talking exactly. to people who have more knowledge than me. Look at you. You're just fucking crushing it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, but I, th- I think you make a good point that maybe I didn't consider ahead of time is that like, I have a tendency to be more trusting of women at shows mm-hmm. and I like to interact with women at shows. And I guess that's not a universal experience and that's you make a good point they're like yeah you have to use like some of the trustworthiness or some of the biases that are against us in a positive manner exactly yeah I mean mm-hmm. this is growing up and being already like being a female ice hockey player like I was the only girl on mm-hmm. voice teams growing up and so I had to use those advantages that I had and work around that because that is that that, that societal stigma that especially in this hobby like women don't necessarily know anything or women are all gecko breeders or whatever you yeah. know like that is all garbage just throw that out the window yeah say, hey this is me this is who I am this is what I'm doing and I would mm-hmm. like to know more can you can you help me and I you know a lot of people just, you know, there's always going to be the bad guy. There's always going to be the asshole, right? Who's like, oh, you don't fucking know shit. You have tits, whatever. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. like, cool. Thanks. But bro, what the fuck do you know? Yeah. You, know? you don't know anything about me or my keeping or my knowledge of the yeah. animals I have on, on my table. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, in, in, Typically, those type of people are the ones who just regurgitate bullshit that they heard from some other asshole was being an asshole to somebody else who got regurgitated information from some other asshole, you know, and it's just the, it's just the cycle and it's and it's okay to I think we just need to be more open with it because at the end of the day, yeah, we are females in the hobby and but that's okay right Mm -hmm. like that's not that's not a bad thing Mm -hmm. we just need to take the things that we we have learned and the experiences that we've had and turn them into a positive because at the end of the day it's about the future and Mm -hmm. if you want to have an impact on the future you need to grow with it and you need to educate people and you need to get people involved and you need to give them that positive you know influence and if you don't then you're not going to, you're not going to develop as a person. You're not going to develop as anybody in the hobby. You're not going to help the hobby besides just become an asshole with the rest of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, I think that's, that's awesome. I, and I appreciate your positive words at the end. And I think you have a really great point and a great message. And I, I appreciate your perspective immensely. So thank you. Yeah. Not a problem. There's just too much negativity, man. I know. Right. Like I don't get it. <laughs> It's exhausting. I think it is. people and I'm like, how are you so like, 
I get mad once and then I cry and then I'm tired the rest of the day. That's how, like, how are you mad all the time? I do not understand. It's like, yeah, exactly. It's exhausting. It's like, okay, I can take this information that you're screaming at me and I can do my own research or I can take that information and just be like, oh, you're right. I am a shitty person. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you're more than likely not. They just have their own shit going on and they're just taking it on you. Fuck Mm -hmm. them. It's social media. Everyone could be an asshole if they want to. (laughs) The perfect place to end. So speaking of assholes and social media, where can we find you? Oh, (laughs) awesome. Thanks. (laughs) I mean, where can we find Jeff? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, uh, you can find Jeff and I at uh, Puget Sound Pythons. Um, We are on... Uh, uh, the books of faces. We are on the tubes of you and the market of morphs um, and Instagram. So uh, you got a MySpace only fan coming soon. (laughs) You know, (laughs) just snakes, just snakes, (laughs) just trouser snakes. Um, No Facebook, Instagram, morph market, Mm -hmm. YouTube. Um, Yeah. Those are the main places to find us. So awesome. And I'll put all your links in the, in the description. So um, thanks again, Kendra for chatting with me on your Friday night. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, Um, absolutely. And I want to thank everyone for listening. This is the 10th episode of the Modern Medusa podcast. You can follow me, Dominique, your host at DeFalco Reptiles, and you can follow the podcast on Instagram at the Modern Medusa podcast. So thank you so much. And we'll talk at you next week.